Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. What in the hell do you think you're doing? Hey, John Boy. I'm telling you straight, it's my way or the highway. So anybody wants to walk, do it now. Hey, everybody, we're all going to get laid. And again, it's picked up. It's Darius Leonard. A pick six for the Maniac. Touchdown, I-N-D-Y. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, oh, the chicken. Double time. John, I have never been better to be on the air with you here in Indianapolis, a place where so many of my dreams have come true. The Ride with JMV on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, welcome in. We are live at Twin Peaks of the Northeast Side. Thank you so much for joining us. JMV here. Devin's the onside engineer. Back in the studio, Kyle Udemark is here. We've got a lot of news to get to, a lot of stuff going on. In fact, I just had a conversation with a listener. He said, hey, there's not been enough conversation regarding the Pacers. And I said, hey, there's a reason behind that is because their season has yet to start. Now, that will change significantly as they get their preseason underway later on tonight in Charlotte. And with that, the voice of the Pacers, Chris Denary, is going to join us. Now, there's no television broadcast tonight, but you can catch the game right here, actually, after me. So the Pacers season officially underway. Denary is going to join us in the 4 o'clock hour, and we shall talk about that yesterday. And if you missed any of Rick Carlisle, that conversation is up. I know 107.5thefan.com. Uh, you can catch it from yesterday. I retweeted it a couple of different times, put it on Facebook. That is our YouTube page. Get on the YouTube page right now and join us as we're live at Twin Peaks here. Get a good look-see. You're going to watch me drink some ice-cold beer and have a great time up here, as always, inside the lounge via YouTube Live. But honestly, Rick Carlisle, pretty good talking about what he expects out of this team. Uh, the young team, the rebuild, the reboot, if you will, from yesterday, Pacers coach Rick Carlisle. Oh, by the way, too, a listener to the JMV Takeover. So if you uh, missed any of that, you can catch it. Again, 107.5thefan.com. You can also catch that via... Uh, simply put, the YouTube channel, The Ride with JMV from yesterday's show, will give you all the arrows to get there. And uh, you can enjoy that conversation from yesterday, certainly if you are a Pacers fan. I mentioned we're at Twin Peaks today, right? So we got back-to-back-to-back shows. Tomorrow is going to not only be a Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila Shots for week number five with me and Brent Halverson and Miller and Nally. We're going to be in Westfield at Joe's Grill coming up tomorrow. But not only do we have that, but we also have the Colts pregame huddle. Colts pregame huddle starts at 5.30 tomorrow. That's me. That's former Colts wide receiver Bill Brooks. And that's Greg Rakestraw coming up tomorrow. Again, Westfield location of Joe's Grill. That's going to be a blast. And then at GG's, not too far from where I sit right now on a Bud Light Blue Friday. Uh, That is coming up on Friday. All right, the big news of the day. And I know that there were a lot of fingers crossed, or if you're from southern Indiana, a lot of fingers crossed, too. I know that there were a lot of fingers crossed about 28 being able to participate in a short week, 28 being able to participate with an injury. I know he wanted to play. He wanted to try to play. 28 
Jonathan Taylor ruled out of action earlier today. So no Jonathan Taylor. And now a couple of things that you're asking me, what will they do? Well, Naheem Hines, who obviously needs to be more instrumental, you would think offensively in what they're trying to do coming up tomorrow night. Uh, Deion Jackson is a backup running back, but we shall see. This is something they're going to have to do. They're going to have to, if they, they feel that's necessary. Philip Lindsay is on the practice squad, and I haven't seen it. Kyle, you can watch this in case I don't see it while I'm doing this show here. Uh, he would absolutely have to be uh, brought up from the practice squad to uh, the 53, man. We'll see if that happens. Uh, but those would be the options right here. Now, anyway, most of you feel that maybe they're not still getting Naheem Hines involved good enough. You could also make the argument maybe this offense is what it is right now, and regardless of getting you know, Naheem Hines invested in it a little bit more, it's just kind of what it is. I mean, one of the worst, if not, if not in a couple of different categories, the worst in the NFL right now. And certainly that situation is not going to help coming up tomorrow as they will be missing Jonathan Taylor. Now, granted, Jonathan Taylor has not been running the football well. The offensive line has not been able to create space for him to run the football well. And with or without Jonathan Taylor, which obviously they will be without coming up tomorrow, what is going to have to be done is this team collectively will have to play much, much better. Now, granted, not like Denver has been that great. Don't get me wrong. Denver has had their own struggles. Denver also has injury concerns. You saw Randy Gregory is going to miss a lot of games. He doesn't play tomorrow night. Uh, Running back situation in Denver is not very good. Russell Wilson comes in with a dinged up shoulder in this game. And these are all situations that you have to deal with when you deal with a short week. And in terms of both of these teams, you not only deal with a short week, but you deal with short weeks where you're coming off of a loss. And more so magnified if you're a Colts fan. That's what we talked about, how necessary it was for them to win that game on Sunday. Because then that makes you feel better about the short week. Yeah, let's contemplate this for a moment. You go back to Sunday. If they end up winning that game, then this whole short week playing on a Thursday, being down arguably your two best players, your two most talented players on either side of the football You look at that, and you're thinking, wow, you could really make some ground and then get on the other side of that and get healthy. But coming off that loss and the way that they played in particular in the first half, what are we thinking about and what have we been talking about the past couple of days? Exactly. You're talking about the doom and gloom. Well, what if Jonathan Taylor doesn't play now that he's out? Hey, this offense hasn't been any good so far. How's it going to be without him? And you find yourself looking for any shred of positivity once again, don't you? You find yourself leaning on, well, they've been down this path before. And I know, much like you guys, I'm tired of it too. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the path. I'm sick and tired of hearing about the short-term history of them getting up off the floor. I'll be honest with you, I know that we were at a similar point a year ago. But maybe I'm wrong. It still felt different. And here's why. Because this season, you felt that they were going to learn from their mistakes. You felt that they have learned from their mistakes and they're going to move forward. So here's the deal. Coming up tomorrow, this is a situation where both of these teams need to win. The Colts need it vitally. And you end up talking about all of the negativity. 
that which took place against Tennessee on Sunday. And then, say, for example, I'll give you a great one here. Talk about the offensive line. Offensive line has been in the crosshairs for, obviously, the first four weeks of this season. Negatively in the crosshairs. You get a long week. You come off a disappointing game in Denver where you deem that obviously winnable, but can they? And then you think about this. You think about Chris Ross or the offensive line coach. What may happen here? Sure, Jim Ursay's not ever fired anybody, a head coach-wise, during the season. Might they look to make a change in that capacity? That's what you look at. And that's where you start considering what took place going all the way back to Sunday. That's the difference in winning on Sunday and feeling really good about where you are and where you're going. Feeling really good about it. And then blowing the first half, not being able to get back completely in it to win it at the end of the game on Sunday. And now you have a game where I think everybody goes in doubting. Kyle and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. We make these picks every single week. And it's kind of funny. When I did my Larcity Bourbon Locks and Luna Azul Tequila shots, right, back last Thursday with Brent Halverson and Tommy S. downtown at Coach's Tavern, I actually took the points and took the Titans. Um, I didn't go. I, my final score was, I think, 23-20 Colts in our pickums that go up on all our social medias for the fans. So, obviously, I lost that, but I think I won that. We'll find out coming up tomorrow. I believe I did with, with Brent Halverson. But when you think about it, you get off to a better start. And in large part, maybe you're not dealing with that. There is no doubt. When you're searching for some positivity, they did play better in the second half. Their defense played better in the second half. Their defense held Tennessee scoreless in the second half. Their offense moved it a little bit. Matt Ryan moved it a little bit. Matt Ryan found, by and large, the entirety of the tight end position. Did he not? From Kylan Granson. Jelani Woods was mixed in there, too. Moai Cox had a couple of big ones. So you had a position that basically had done nothing that stepped up and got going production-wise. Alec Pierce made a couple of nice grabs. Ashton Doolin did the same. Problem was, you dug yourself way too big of a hole to get out of. That's why it was so problematic. That has been so problematic with this team. And again, we have to get off of the thinking about, hey, this is what this team does. Because at some point, it has to stop being what this team does. I don't know if that's going to be tomorrow night. I don't know if it's going to be a week later. I don't know if they're going to come to that realization when Carson Wentz is back in town. But at some point, you have to stop being who you are. Unless that is exactly who you are. Unless that's you. Unless what we have seen, even with different quarterbacks, same old thing last year. Even with different quarterbacks, even with the positive, two years ago with Phillip Rivers. This team has to find out for themselves if there's something else here, if there's another layer, or this is just who they are. Because everybody has talked, from the owner on down, talked about the significance of this game and that game. You know, trying to get everybody wound up. I'm not saying that these guys respond to motivational speaking. But the problem is, when you have your owner that outspoken, and that, that outspoken for a long time about how important that Tennessee game is, and then you give them those first two quarters, that first half of play, that's going to raise some eyebrows. And obviously around here, it certainly has.
So coming up tomorrow, Thursday night football, you've got the Colts, you have Denver, and you have two teams that really need a win, and you have a Colts team that not only is physically dinged up, but you would have to think maybe spinning a little bit, trying to find, if you can find it, if you have it, trying to find something that a lot of people thought they had. But other than in fleeting moments, in a spurt here or there, you just haven't consistently seen. So the question is, at what point do you say, and you flop out that old cliche of, hey, they just are who they are. That's just who they are. I think I had them at what? Nine? I think I took the over. Was the over under nine and a half? Yeah, I feel a little bit foolish about that right now, looking at this team. I just looked at this team and thought, wow, I mean, even with a 37-year-old quarterback, you expected so much more across the board that you haven't seen. And I wasn't even one that bought into what Chris Ballard was trying to sell regarding the pass catchers. Didn't even buy into that. I just thought that the line would play better. I mean, you have gotten not only bad offensive line play, or I will say this, the offensive line play has been average to below, which is not good enough. It's just not good enough for this group. And it sure as hell not good enough for this team. And the same can be said in a lot of circumstances regarding the defensive line. And we do. We do point fingers, we do outline, we highlight exactly where things are going wrong at the highest paid positions. Or in this case, positions that by the Colts and Chris Ballard have been deemed high levels of importance. You know, normally that's with the quarterback. You know, in this era of the NFL, normally you're thinking about that with a wide receiver. You know, why is this guy not putting up numbers? I'll give you a great example. Allen Robinson is a guy with the Rams. Allen Robinson apparently is begging for more targets. And Sean McVay's, you know, he is hell-bent on finding him more targets. You know, maybe that guy, maybe that guy is just, uh, just toasted. Maybe that's the case. But when you're brought in and you're paid to be a part of a team that's the defending Super Bowl champions, there is a, a great deal of expectation placed upon your shoulders. And it's weird here because you get that level of expectation in positions that you don't normally talk about as being high-level winning essential. So all you're kind of left is looking at the offensive line and knowing what they get paid collectively and knowing that, you know, average, below average, whatever, that's not getting it done. Knowing that the running game is not getting it done. The points per game is not getting it done. I can't think of a time this year. And really, there weren't a lot of moments last year. But I can't think of a time this year when they had all that we expected to go higher level right this season. Working at a higher level at once. Anybody? Anybody remember a moment or two when that was actually happening, when that was actually taking place? Called consistency. I, for one, in the offseason was very excited about this defense. Again, against Kansas City, you saw some moments. In the second half, you saw some moments. But I was excited about this defense from a standpoint of finally having an edge rusher, right? I talked about ad nauseum Yannick Ngakwe. You know, when is he... You know, how is he going to help this team 
from a standpoint of giving them something as a consistent edge rusher that they hadn't had in a long time. And basically, the guy showed up one game so far. Really one game. Now, again, and I know we got the Ben Brown conversation from PFF, and I would allow you to take it for whatever it's worth. Take it for what it's worth. Because I've said this before. Normally, normally you embrace PFF's numbers because it states your case, your belief. Whether it states your belief or describes or defines your belief about the team that you like and they're playing well or the team that you like and they're not playing well. And it's really one end of the other here. It's either you believe in the analytics, you believe in the numbers because it basically is stating your case, or you think that all these guys still live in their parents' basement because it's not stating your particular belief. Those analytics don't don't equate. So I, I kind of look at them a little bit differently, I think, than everybody else. But certainly, in what we do on a daily basis, they're interested or interesting to look at just from a conversational standpoint. Now, even if you don't fully believe in them, or even if you do fully believe in them, whatever, they are still really good conversationally. Uh, the numbers have not been good for them, and the numbers have not been good for the essential positions of this team. So we're thinking about Jonathan Taylor. Let's think about more so than that. Think about an offensive line who I'm sure has heard it, who I'm sure has read it, who I'm sure absolutely knows it, you know, not being below average, not being average anymore, because you can't be. You can't be for this team to put something together that is sustainable. And I would say that with or without Jonathan Taylor, I know that it looks daunting, but you look at the past couple of games and it's been problematic anyway, especially on Sunday. So to me, this goes beyond Jonathan Taylor. This guy's that are ready to step on that field and play coming up tomorrow night. Have they had enough of this? Are they ready to say enough is enough? And play at the level in which I think people thought? Or are they just going to be more of that's who they are? That's what you look for, not just at the beginning of the game, because that's been where the Colts certainly have been sidetracked, but throughout the game. Can they find a level of consistency that starts in the early stages of the game, and can last. Again, Denver is not great by any stretch. Tough environment, short week, but they're playing on the same short week as the Colts are. They have some injury issues just like the Colts. Look at it that way. It's funny, too, when you look back at our picks, I think everybody really but Jake, I think Jake had Kansas City. Everybody else kind of went oppo of it. I mean, this Colts team has been a tough read. Your expectations against Houston, their expectations against Jacksonville, and then because of that 0-1-1 start, your expectations for most of us against Kansas City. And then obviously in what was a huge matchup against Tennessee this last week, those expectations as well. Been a hard team to read. So I guess you could look at that tomorrow night if you're looking for positives as a positive as well. This team's been hard to read. Right? If it's going to step up in a really tough situation because, as you guys often tell me, that's what they do. That's what they did a year ago, which I hate that argument, or that's what they did two years ago. 
That's what they've done in recent history. Tomorrow night would be a good time to do it. Tomorrow night would be a good time to show it. Without question. All right, Colts conversation, full bore coming up at 239-1070. You guys can jump on board with that and more. Again, no Jonathan Taylor. He has officially been ruled out for that Thursday nighter in Denver coming up tomorrow night. Also early in the week, both Taekwon Lewis and Shaquille Leonard ruled as out coming up tomorrow night. So we'll dive into that conversation. Kevin Bowen's going to be here in the 5 o'clock hour. I mentioned Kristen Neri. There is no television broadcast tonight. Of course, we'll have you covered here on the radio, but it is the preseason opener for the Pacers in Charlotte. Now, I didn't see a lot of it. I was kind of in and out, but our resident expert on Victor Winbayama, that is the French kid that is seven foot four and has a lot of these similar skill sets and traits that most described Chet Holmgren had. Last year, it still has, by the way, now even injured in OKC. Seven foot four, the, the win, wingspan, the athleticism. He's a guy that can handle it. He's a guy that can shoot it. I saw him a little bit for the first time, and I would have to admit, I thought last night he looked pretty damn good. But who am I, right? He and Scoot Henderson, likely one and two in the upcoming June NBA draft, and there's a reason why. A lot of these teams, you're talking about a rebuild here. Nobody wants to say tank, but a rebuild here, right? You're talking about a rebuild and or a tank in Utah and other places around that NBA landscape. Kyle, there was a reason why, and two of those dudes were on display last night. What would you think? I think uh, at least Wimban Yama, he is uh, everything you could, ever, you could want in a, a player, right? I mean, he is, he's great defensively. He can shoot the three. He can put the ball on the floor. He has good handles. He's, I mean, he is the closest thing to Durant we've seen. And he's even bigger than Durant. Seven foot four. So basically for those of you that are really old and decrepit like me, think about how tall Ralph Sampson was when he played in the eighties at Virginia and then played in the NBA, certainly with the Houston Rockets. Think about his level of height, and, and really, they kind of look similar right now, too, I guess because they're both 7'4". But think about if Ralph Sampson were able to handle. He was able to pull up from NBA three-point range as what was happening last night and knocking down threes, I believe seven of them in all last night. And just having this kind of modern-day skill set for a guy that, Body type-wise right now will remind old folks like me of Ralph Sampson. I would have to say I don't get all excited about young guys, but there is a reason, right, Kyle, why all these teams are rebooting or tanking or whatever and however you want to describe it because that is the guy, and really Scoot Henderson too, but that is the guy that they're all looking for, is it not? I think the Pacers probably picked maybe the perfect year to have – what could be one of the worst in franchise history with how deep this draft is going to be at the top. I think it's going to be a great shot to kind of really draft somebody that could put the Pacers on a good trajectory for the next decade. Now we're not talking about, you know, the season being over before it starts, but when we talked to Rick Carlisle yesterday, he laid it out as well as anybody could. 
I think we all understand what this team is in for, not just this year, but in for going into next year. There's going to be a lot, and we'll see how long you guys hang where you rely upon the new and the fresh approach and how long that holds out and sustains your attention compared to just being able to flat win games, right? Because there's probably, and Rick brought up the odds and what he has seen as far as the predictions yesterday of what the Pacers are going to do. And it is certainly in the ballpark. It is certainly in the neighborhood of what this Pacer team did a year ago. But again, they are banking on the new and the fresh approach to keep you guys entertained, to keep you guys noticing and active in watching them. And you saw two guys last night, if you have, if you happen to tune in, two guys that are the major reasons why a lot of these teams have decided, much like the Pacers, to reboot in this particular year. Did I get his name right? Victor Wenbayama? I keep messing it up, too. It's Wembanyama. W-E-M-B-A-N-Y-A-M-A. Wenbayama. Wenbanyama. I was pretty close, though. For a guy from southwestern Indiana, that's pretty damn close right there. Wenbayama. Wenbayama. Pretty close. I had to sit there in the mirror and practice Halliburton. 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 Because all you guys got up my rear end about how I pronounced Halliburton. I think I'm on target right there. Speaking of which, we're at Twin Peaks. We are in Castleton today. I'd love for you guys to join us. We've got this room and the fire stoked all to ourselves. 29-degree temp beer. That's ice cold. Love to have you guys join us here today. And, again, we got uh, the rest of the week. We're going to be out and about. We're going to be ready to have a fantastic time. A little bit more a get-to-know with this Pacer team in mind as they get off the preseason start later on tonight in Charlotte. Kristen Aries is going to join us coming up at the top of the 4 o'clock hour. You got us as well with Kevin Bowen in the 5 o'clock hour. Again, no Jonathan Taylor coming up tomorrow. He was ruled out today. Um, I also wanted to tell you this. I, I know that, and I, I, I appreciate everybody here. I do. I appreciate everybody for hanging in. There has been, I described it on Twitter a little bit earlier, uh, there have been moments of... Uh, unfortunate fubaric type of connections or lack thereof, right? That Devin sound gets sometimes. I mean, everybody's trying to maintenance wise. They were trying to untangle a web and then put this web back together again. So you're going to have some issues and we've been having issues with that. And I know a lot of you rely upon the app. I know a lot of you rely on these means being workable. For example, when I ever come on, I come on at 3 o'clock, and I always want those to be there for you. But right now, they're trying to work through some maintenance aspects. So here's what I can tell you. Two things, and hopefully they both certainly will hold true. If you normally listen on the app and you're not getting anything, I can tell you that 1075thefan.com, and then you get on the page, and then you smack that listen live, Boom, right there. But I can also tell you, after I think some foobar a little bit earlier today, 
We are back live inside the lounge via YouTube Live. And not only can you get in there and listen to the entirety of this show, but you can see me sitting here live at Twin Peaks on the northeast side. Then you can go ahead and get involved with some of the most profound and entertaining off-topic conversations that you're going to find anywhere. I'm not going to lie. It's good. Now, it's not the same always. There are some similarities to what we're doing on the air. But conversations will obviously veer to different and certainly more interesting other places inside the lounge. So if you want to do that, there are a lot of things to do in there. I just want to make sure that that you understand that nobody's sitting on their hands and not doing anything about it. We have some hard-ass workers around here, some people that are just stratospherically smarter than I am about this stuff, and they are working on it nonstop. So I know that you like to tweet me and go, hey, you got to get off your ass, and you got to do I don't know how to do anything, all right? But I do defer with those professionals that do, they do, and they're on it for you right now. They're on it for you. But, again, you can go to our website, 107.5thefan.com, click on that, and then smack that listen live. Uh, top right-hand corner, boom, there you are. That's a fail-safe. And uh, normally, I don't think it was earlier today, but I certainly think it is right now inside the lounge via YouTube Live, and there's a ton of entertainment right there. So that's what we go in. And if you want to tell me where you're listening and it's something I'm not talking about, go ahead. I just want to make sure everybody is up to date on how you can get us. And those ways certainly work. Kristen Airy. Kevin Bowen, all coming up. Twin Peaks on the northeast side. I would love to see you here. Also, FM-wise, here we are. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back with your calls next. The Ride with JMV. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. It's quite pungent. It stings the nostrils. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. All right, so apparently inside the lounge... People think that it looks very westerny behind me. I have never watched an episode of Yellowstone. Am I missing out on that? Kyle, have you ever seen an episode of Yellowstone? No, I've never seen it. I don't even know. Where's it at? Wyoming? No, I would say I don't even know what channel it's on or how I would even watch it. Paramount. It's a really good show. It's on the Paramount Network. I said Wyoming. God, that, I kind of sounded stupid right there. Where's it at? Wyoming? Uh, Paramount Network, I believe. By the way, that's the good, the bad, and the ugly from 1967. That is a Clint Eastwood classic right there, a little spaghetti western that is about three hours long. I think the first time I remember watching that, I thought it was on Channel 4 back in the day, their big western in the afternoon. Remember Channel 4 on Sundays had the big western at about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and hell, I go out, come back in, that thing's still on at about 6 o'clock. But, yeah, uh, Twin Peaks is where our location is today. Thank you guys for joining us, too. Uh, we're going to be here until 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to talk to Kristen Airy at the top of the hour. Kevin Bowen's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. In case you have missed it, Jonathan Taylor has officially been ruled out of participation tomorrow night in Denver. Man, that short week, it does stink. But everybody has to do it. And in this case, Denver's got to do it, too. They just get to do it from home. It's the way that it is. Uh, tomorrow night, your coverage begins following me. Actually, it's all going to be the same thing. 
from Joe's Grill in Westfield. I'll talk about that with you as we move along, why you need to be there coming up tomorrow night. Jim McCann in Southern California writes this. Crazy to hear Rick Carlisle say he was at Larry Bird's house and that they were eating steak and listening to the JMV takeover on B105.7. Yeah, that's what uh, Rick said yesterday. Rick is uh, down, musically speaking. When Rick started to go in with a little bit of Tupac, I had to stop and listen to it. And that wasn't something, like normally if I were to bring that up, somebody was going, oh, here he goes. He's going to start talking about music. Oh, here he goes. He's going to start talking about pop culture. I didn't even bring it up because I had no idea. That was not on me. Block by block sends me this. I Listen, I don't even care how you get here as long as you get here. He says, I always listen via Alexa. And I say, Alexa, play 1070 the fan. <laughs> Whatever. Um, I don't care if you say, Alexa, play that dumbass known as JMV. I don't care. Whatever. Just as long as you're here. But I am here to tell you because I know a lot of you have been frustrated about it. Don't be, because there is always a fail-safe here. The fail-safe is the website, um, and as of right now, I know it wasn't earlier today, but the YouTube chat is is always there. And, of course, you got the two FMs here locally as well, but I know that you guys have put up with stuff, and I apologize for that, but I thank you for doing so. And believe me, um, our folks are absolutely on top of that right now. Thank you very much. Uh, Jeremy writes this, Jake Carey, would you please inform JMV of the greatness that is the wire must watch all the pieces matter. I've never seen a second of the wire. Can you believe that? Here's what I watched. You guys ready? I watched the Sopranos from start to finish. I watched Eastbound and Down from start to finish. I watched Entourage. These are all HBOs, right? I watched Entourage start to finish. And I will say this, going into last winter, I watched uh, Pam and Tommy from start to finish. That was on Hulu, right? That was like me breaking out a little bit right there, me getting on Hulu and being a part of Hulu. So those are, and I really don't think anything else that I've hung with. Those are the, speaking of hung, I believe HBO. Remember HBO had the show Hung? Right? Hung. I did hang with Hung back then for a while. But basically, those, those are the four. I've never watched the second of Yellowstone. I've never, and not because I go, oh, man, this is going to suck. I don't feel like doing it. I've never watched a second of uh, uh, The Wire. And, I, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of stuff I've not watched. It's harder and harder to do so now because it's all over the place. But The Wire is constantly one that people tell me I should. I've watched two episodes of Breaking Bad. What's up, Daryl? Good to see you, buddy. I know I've not watched Yellowstone. I know it. Not a second. Not a second of it, Daryl. Not a second have I watched of it. (laughs) Mark writes this, JMV. Do you really think this group is going to lose willingly every night? That'd be a lot easier without Turner and Heald. No, 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 no. I didn't say that whatsoever. I didn't say that whatsoever. But they are a team that clearly, like a couple of others within the NBA right now, they have the longer-term picture that they're looking at. They're not necessarily looking at it right now. It would be incredible 
if they were able to, but I can't sit here and tell you that there's any expectation uh, from me for them to win more than 30 games, for example. Because they have been given license, Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, Rick Carlisle, they have been given license to look at it longer term and not win in the now, not try to squeeze into the back end of the postseason in the now, to go for the longer, bigger picture. And we'll see if you hang in. Hey, I will say this. The Pacers are out and about trying to do some things. The Pacers recognize exactly what you're thinking. They recognize exactly what you've been telling me, that this team is not going to be very good. How long until the new and the fresh wears off? How long before, if they continue to lose, will you go ahead and detach yourself altogether? So they're trying to do some things knowing that you're savvy and you're savvy because we're all savvy together and you understand exactly what they're trying to do, which is what other teams are trying to do right now outside of the NBA, I should say throughout the NBA, and you can understand as of last night, those were two good reasons as to why teams are trying to do what teams are trying to do right now because those are two of the huge pieces of that NBA June draft 2023 puzzle that most teams as of right now suggest will go one and two. So if you watched any of that last night, there is definitely a reason behind it. But they're trying. I mean, they're going to try. They are absolutely going to try. They also recognize that a year ago with Valley Sports Indiana, even if you wanted to watch it, for most of you, it was a struggle. And this is just a different world. It's a different world. I say this all the time. I mean, in terms of trying to listen to us, you know what I used to say, you know, about, you know, a, a former signal and how it was always kind of a lifeboat, right? Well, the same could be said back in the day going over air when it was just, you know, Channel 4, for example, that had the Pacers. But there are so many other options right now. I haven't even investigated them all. I just kind of sit there with, with direct TV and say, yeah, whatever happens. Whatever happens, I'm here. But it's not like there's a fail-safe for direct TV either. You just saw earlier in the week, I think a lot of you, if you go by Dish Network, I think Disney dropped all their channels or uh, Dish Network dropped all their Disney channels because at least a couple of times a year, if you have the cord still, that your provider is probably going to have an argument with something, somebody, some broadcasting entity that you believe is very important in your daily routine that you don't want to miss, whether it's local or it's national. At some point, that's going to happen to you if you still have the cord or most cords, certainly my cord. So it's not like I sit here all the time and say, wow, this is just great having direct TV because I know at some point that there's going to be some beef they're going to have in negotiations and the only negotiation power that either side will have is to either pull their programming or the other pull their programming and you know who that directly affects all of us. So I basically just go for what's easy right now. And for me, that is the easiest right now. Bally Sports Indiana has a great deal, by the way. And I'll hit that, I'm sure, Kristen Airy coming up at the top of the hour. 
um, regarding what they're trying to do. And I mentioned, too, the understanding we're starting out preseason-wise tonight with the Pacers. The understanding is they know um, how they're viewed, and they obviously have a pretty good feel for their viewing and their Pacer audience out there, and they're going to have to do some things. And they are going to be doing some things, and we'll talk about those things coming up a little bit later on. Again, the Pacers in Charlotte later on tonight, preseason game number one. As Rick Carlisle told us yesterday, because it is a short preseason, he's going to go at it with this guys basically as he would a normal game. And if you missed Rick Carlisle yesterday, the podcast 1075thefan.com. We are at Twin Peaks on the northeast side. We are in Castleton off of 82nd and I-69. I would love to see you here. We're having the ice-cold beer. Get the Bud Light working for you right now as well. Where we're going to be tomorrow, Colts and Denver Thursday night football. Jonathan Taylor earlier today ruled out. The overall effect, and I will say this, there's no doubt it is large, but if others don't bring it to a level that has been expected, it's not like it was going to matter a great deal anyway. Large, don't get me wrong. Your two best players, arguably, are out in Shaquille Leonard and Jonathan Taylor. But this opportunity tomorrow night is going to be more on those that haven't been getting it done and those that we have expected to get it done that simply haven't shown up at least consistently. We'll get to that coming up at the top of the hour. Kristen Airy is going to join us, Kevin Bowen, at the 5 o'clock hour. We're live at Twin Peaks on the northeast side. The Wednesday edition of this show is on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Thank you for your support. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Twin Peaks is our location today, 82nd at I-69. Join us here. Got the ice-cold beer flowing. Hey, tomorrow, by the way, Westfield location of Joe's Grill. That's a Larcity Bourbon Locks. Luna Azul Tequila Shots, me, Brent Halverson. I'm assuming that both Natalie and Miller will be present, too. Now, we'll do that until 5.30, and then Bill Brooks, the former Colts wide receiver, and Greg Rakestraw join me for the Colts pregame huddle, and that will lead us up to countdown to kickoff and that Thursday nighter from Denver. Broncos hosting the Colts coming up tomorrow night. Jonathan Taylor has been ruled out. Kevin Bowen's going to join us in the 5 o'clock hour. We're going to go over a lot of certainly what has been discussed in this short week and some of our expectations coming up tomorrow. But the Pacers back in action for 2022 and 2023 later on tonight in Charlotte for their preseason opener. And back by popular demand, the voice of the Pacers, that is Chris Denary who joins us now. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hey, John, uh, always great to be with you. Look forward to another year of uh, radio with you in the afternoons. And, yeah, it's hard to believe. Year number 17 for me uh, doing the play-by-play on TV. So uh, it's, it's been an amazing run. I've enjoyed every minute of it and and uh, really looking forward to this year. Uh, I know you had Coach Carlisle on yesterday. I've been at, at all the training camp practices, uh, I think all but one, um, and just have watched this youthful group uh, learn to grow together, and that that's what the year's about. I think it's going to be fun to watch, and uh, I'm ready for the year. So, Kristen Neri is with us. I, it's it's funny when you talk about the the youth movement here. I was when I was talking to Rick yesterday, 
I mean, clearly the first thing you think about is, you know, how in board, uh, how on board is a former championship winning coach that's been in the league for so long? How on board is he with it? And uh, listen, it, it almost seemed like that he was re-energized by dealing with this particular group a group and wanted to see where they end up going, you know, not just now, but in the foreseeable future. I definitely think that. I think, you know, you're really focused on the long term. But, you know, from a short term standpoint, you've got a lot of young pieces to work with. You've got an opportunity to see some guys play with guys that they didn't play with last year. Miles Turner, for for instance, missed the last 40 games of the year. So uh, T.J. McConnell played all but three games. So you've had some guys that didn't really get to figure out how to play with Tyrese Halliburton or Jalen Smith or Buddy Heald or, or, or Isaiah Jackson. So I think that's one of the things that I think Rick has been enthused about. I think he has a really good coaching staff. Uh, they do a great job of teaching. One of the things they've really focused on, and we know how poor the defense was last year, they've really been focusing on the defense that you've got to guard your yard, if you will, because if you guard your yard, then you don't have to rely on that help defense as much. Now, with the return of Miles Turner, you've got one of the best shot blockers in the NBA. That will clearly help things. But you, you've harped on it over the years, you know, the last few years, is getting beat out on the perimeter. And that creates a lot of rotational issues for the defense. So that, that's been a bulk of their, of their work uh, in the preseason with, with, with these young guys and these young legs is figuring out a way that they can be better defensively. You know what, Chris, talking about them defensively, too, in the short-term past, that was certainly um, a shortcoming of theirs, a glaring shortcoming. But you kind of just knew who they were at that time with that group, and you knew that, yeah, it wasn't going to get better. At least when you look at this group, there is room to grow into it because really, I mean, everything on this team right now is necessary. So you're thinking, you know, you can probably find and then cultivate guys certainly with a more willingness to play defense than guys that were already in the short-term past, I guess, Chris, set in their ways. That makes sense? Well, yeah, and to your point, I think you know, we, we talk about tuning in and, and, and watching Pacers basketball. I mean, that that's – that's, I think that's why you're going to tune in because you don't know what to expect. I mean, maybe there were some things that happened over and over in that stretch with the same personnel um, that, that you came to just know what was going to happen. And, and in this situation, um, you're, you're, you want to see Benedict Matherin and how he defends and, and what type of offensive player he is. Um, Aaron Neesmith, I mean, can he do what Jalen Smith did last year when Jalen Smith got the opportunity to play significant minutes with the Pacers, he did a lot of things you never saw him do in Phoenix. And, and Neesmith was behind uh, Tatum and, and Brown and, and just didn't have an opportunity to play. So those are the things that I think are, are going to be exciting. And, and watching this young group and, and clearly in the conversations that I've been able to have after practice watching and listening to Tyrese Halliburton, there is no question he wants to be the leader of this team. He is embracing being the leader of this team. And he said, look, it's on me. The way we play is a representation of me. So if we are not doing the things that we're supposed to be doing, that's on me. You love to hear that. And, and those are the things that they've been working on. Now, uh, you know, we'll see starting tonight a little bit. Again, it's the preseason. I think we'll see a lot of players on the floor. Though, as you said, Rick Carlisle said yesterday, look, we only have four games. We don't want to coast into the regular season 
And if you coast into the preseason, that, that can set you up for failure early in the season. So I anticipate they will use a lot of players, but they'll also give some significant minutes to the guys that, that they want to get it. What do you think? I, I didn't ask Rick this yesterday. It didn't really occur to me until afterwards, too, because it probably doesn't matter now because you're going to have so many dudes, especially in the preseason. But once you start the regular season, what type of rotation do you expect to see? Have you thought about that very much? Well, Rick said uh, a couple of days ago, he said, look, I, I won't I won't fear going 10, 11 deep with this group. And, and John, when I look at it on paper, that that's probably accurate because you've got a lot of guys that are fairly equal. I mean, you saw Terry Taylor do some nice things as a rookie a year ago. O'Shea Brissett, they sort of play the same position. Um, you've got Jalen Smith. Uh, you've got Miles Turner. You've got Isaiah Jackson. How does Gogo Bataze fit in? So, so there's five or six guys in the front court. And then in the back court, of course, you have Halliburton and Duarte and Matherin and McConnell. Is uh, Nemhard a guy that is going to see some activity? Smith. So I've thrown out about 11 or 12 names. The one thing about the NBA is when you look at the schedule, and I, I sort of zero in after Thanksgiving, and one of the reasons is we're back on the road for the first time since March of 2020. But the Pacers, the day, uh, the day after Black Friday, will go on the road for seven games in 12 days out west. They come home after playing Minnesota on a Wednesday and then play Friday, Saturday, Monday, a three-game homestand. So all of a sudden, there's about 10 games in 16 days. So I would anticipate that at times, Rick Carlisle, because of the young roster and because of who he has, he will go a little bit deeper uh, because he'll need to with the way the schedule is formatted. Chris Tadere is the voice of the Pacers via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. How excited are you to be back on the road? And I know that we're in an ever-changing technology world right here where you can do things. You can do things remotely. I mean, I do this with Hagen at 59 every Sunday night, and I thank him very much because I don't have to drive all the way to the northwest side. There are just some things, however, that to me, you, you want to know if you're watching or listening that they're actually on site. And certainly basketball, in your case, is one of those for me. Yeah, I mean, basketball, you know, is a game, as we've seen uh, in the last two-plus years. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do remotely. and um, yeah. But but I think the advantage is when you're on the road, I'm different than, than you are at home. Because if I'm in the studio calling a game off a 70-inch monitor, there might be somebody at home that has a 100-inch monitor and is is basically doing the same thing that I'm doing, but I'm the one calling the game. Uh, the one advantage you have, of course, is when you're on site, is you're, whether you're on the floor or up, but if you're on the floor, uh, the officials can come talk to you. You can look at both benches. There are a lot of things that you see during the course of a game that you aren't going to see on your television screen. So those are definitely the advantages. It's it's about being on the road and building relationships with players and coaches and and, and the trust factor, if you will, because when you're the voice of a team, um, I, I think that's super important. And so that, that'll be something that uh, I'm looking forward to doing. Uh, again, not on the road for the first two preseason games. We'll do the two home uh, preseason games next week, and then we'll do all 82, including 41 on the road and, and 41 at home. And, and I do want to say, um, you know, the, the information that came out today, the, the all-new Pacers Plus plan uh, that gives those that 
um, you know, don't have cable or direct TV, uh, an opportunity. I mean, that's the, the beauty about Valley Sports Plus is that now if you have YouTube TV or Hulu or Dish or Sling, um, you have an opportunity now to watch Pacers games. And I think the, the one thing that I wanted to say, John, and I know that, you know, numbers are changing with the court cutting, but still about 85% of the marketplace here in Indianapolis, people still have cable, whether it's Spectrum or Xfinity or I have UVerse or, or DirecTV. So, uh, but I think what, what, you know, everybody is doing is making sure that you make it as available as possible. And, and I think what the Pacers, you know, are doing with this Pacers Plus plan is, is an outstanding way for people to be able to go to the games at Gamebridge Fieldhouse but then at the same time, if you don't have cable or whatever and you've got one of the streaming packages, now you will have the opportunity to watch all 82 uh, Pacers games, 41 on the road, 41 at home. Tell me um, about that, that plan again, the plus plan that you just mentioned. I saw that earlier today, too. Maybe those that yeah. had not seen it yet, explain in detail, if you would, exactly what, what occurs with that. Yeah, it came out today. We, uh, the Pacers announced, along with Valley Sports, that all 82 regular season and two preseason games uh, will be broadcast. And there's a brand-new uh, Pacers Plus ticket plan that includes a six-month subscription to Valley Sports Plus. And what it is, it offers fans the opportunity to get tickets, to buy tickets to five of the most anticipated games of the regular season. It's a premium fan experience. It also includes a bonus six-game free. Uh, you'll get a post-game player experience with either ben- Benedict Matherin, Miles Turner, Chris Dorte, or Tyrese Halliburton, a limited edition autographed Pacers Wilson miniball, and a six-month subscription to Bally Sports Plus, allowing you to stream every Pacers game this year. So it's a heck of a deal. I mean, you have a chance now to come down to Gamebridge Fieldhouse, watch the Pacers play six times, and then watch the remaining games again on Bally Sports Plus, you know, for for the people that have cable, nothing changes. I mean, we're exactly where you've always been. But for those people that have YouTube TV or or Hulu or Sling or whatever, um, now Bally Sports Plus gives you an opportunity uh, to watch all the games. Kristen Airy joins us. You know this. I've been a mild supporter for a long time, especially when others are not supporting 33. I have. All right, so he's going to get an opportunity here. Uh, Certainly, there are a lot of variables to start the season and then as the season goes along uh, as far as him being here, how long he's going to be here, and whatever. But considering he is going to be here in the now, what do you expect from him in what is a a certainly a significantly new role on this Pacer team? It's definitely a new role because he doesn't have – I mean, he's going to have another big in, in Jalen Smith, but, but I mean, that's different than DeMontis Sabonis, uh, you know, uh, playing the two, two, what I call the two fives. Um, Jalen can play the five, but I think he's comfortable playing the four and that's where he'll start. But I think just in talking to miles, he's very energized. He said he felt really good when he came back to Indianapolis. He did not play a lot of pickup uh, this summer. I mean, he did some traveling, uh, but he said once he got back to Indianapolis early September when they started playing pickup um, uh, at the practice facility, he goes, I really got energized, and I've wanted to play with Tyrese Halliburton. I've wanted to play with Jalen Smith. Remember, all he could do last year, the final 40 games, and especially the 20-plus when they made the trade, all he could do was sit on the bench and wonder what it would be like. So 
Uh, this is an oppor- a real opportunity for him, I think, to shine and 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 I don't know, you know, do more. I mean, he's been 13.7 rebounds, nearly three block shots. Can those numbers go up? Can they be 16 and 10? Um, but I think one of the things he's excited about is the young guys out on the perimeter that he believes will be better defensively and not put as much pressure on him. I mean, that's, that's going to be the biggest thing to watch is how the Pacers uh, defend uh, because I, I think that they will be able to score. Uh, the, the problem that they had last year was, you know, giving up too many points and it was too easy to score against the Pacers. And so that's why in the preseason, uh, this group has really been focused a lot on defense. Kristen Aaron joins us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What do you think the starting lineup is going to look like? And will uh, Matherin be a part of it, the rookie? They mixed it up the last uh, few practices, but when it started out, it was uh, Halliburton, uh, Duarte, Heald, uh, Jalen Smith, and Turner. And then that second unit was McConnell and Matherin. And that's, that's, that's a pretty good defensive unit uh, to start, sort of two ball-hawking guards, and McConnell really – uh, finds a way to find Matherin. Uh, Terry Taylor, Isaiah Jackson uh, have been involved in that second unit. So uh, I, I think that'll be interesting to see. I, I would think they will keep some of the units together tonight um, at times just so that they can see them work together. But Rick Carlisle did not hesitate to mention that he might mix things up as well. Yeah, I, I, I guess, and, and this, I mean, this is kind of new territory. I say kind of because I know he went through this in Dallas as well, but it, it probably takes a, a little reboot in your own coach's mind as well to be a part of this. But, man, he seems like, at least yesterday in the conversation we had, he seems like he's pretty excited about it. I think he is. I mean, just watching him, you know, coach every day in practice and, you know, the one thing that Rick does is he really empowers his assistant coaches to have a voice. And you hear a lot of Ronald Norad. You hear uh, Lloyd Pierce. Uh, you hear Jenny Busick. Uh, you hear the coaches um, not afraid to, to have Calvert Chaney, who's one of the player development guys, get in there and talk to guys. And, and that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Rick has done. He, he empowers his assistant coaches. Uh, it's no surprise that he's head of the NBA Coaches Association, and uh, he really believes in development. And he feels, and, and I would agree, that he has a really, really good staff. And I think they're the perfect staff to do what they're doing now. They've got some really good players, I believe. They're young, and they've got to learn. Uh, but, but it's something that, uh, again, I'm anxious to watch this team grow and, and to see how all the pieces fit together. Who else? I mean, I know everybody does because it's a fresh new season here. Who else interests you or you're, you're excited about off the top of your head? Well, I'm wanting uh, to see for this think, team. Yeah, I think, I think Isaiah Jackson, I mean, he's bulked yeah. up a little bit. He's gotten a lot stronger. Um, he's a guy that um, probably needs to look for his offense a little bit more other than, you know, Halliburton throwing those lobs. But uh, Isaiah shot, he only made five threes last year, and I think it's something that he's capable of doing. Uh, Terry Taylor's had a really good training camp. Um, you know, this is a kid that played at Austin P. was a part of the Mad Ants last year on a two-way contract, and he had some significant games uh, late in the year. And, and I think, John, the, what was most interesting last year was 
with the record and despite all the changes, the Pacers played 27 games last year that were decided by five points or less, and they only won six of them. Um, and, and so I, I think this is a team that can, can be in games. I think they'll have some really cool wins this year. They're probably going to have some tough times as well. But I think, I think if, if they can do a better job, even with this young group in those close games, they have, they have a chance to have a little bit better, you know, a better record than I think people would anticipate. So Kristen Airy, who's the voice of the Pacers with his via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Man, McConnell, I had McConnell on Thursday. I, he, I could talk to him for a while. He's about as good a conversation as you're going to find. Uh, he's, he's absolutely the best. And, uh, you know, he's one of the guys when I think about traveling, uh, you get on the bus to, to go to the arena on the road, and he has at least probably his 10th cup of coffee of the day as he sits down next to you. And you can just tell how ready he is each and every night to play. And one of the questions that somebody asked him is like, and, and I said we ought to have sort of a gong on our telecast this year is for every time that he baits an opposing player into stealing an inbounds pass, because it, I swear two years ago, it happened almost nightly with McConnell, you know, taking an inbounds pass and either finding a teammate for a basket or scoring himself. But uh, yeah, he's one of the older Pacers now. I mean, he's 29 years old. He's now in his eighth year. Um, and, and it's in his fourth year with the Pacers. So it's, it's really cool to see him out there on the floor. So what'd you say? 17 years on the call with the Pacers now, Chris? Yeah, this is my 17th. Um, I got the job uh, when Al Albert stepped away back in 2006. And, uh, you know, for a kid that went to Westfield high school and Wabash college and not your traditional, you know, broadcasting school, uh, to do what I'm doing in my hometown is is quite special. So I'm I'm very very fortunate. So you started this 17th year. I started in November of '04, doing this not here, but this on a daily basis. So we're pretty close there, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I mean, I had the two year run prior to when I was ending my. I, I spent 17 years as the voice of Butler. So the the yeah. final two years, I was the sports director. At Fox 59, I worked with Hagen, yep. uh, where, where you are every Sunday night. And so I did that for a couple of years. And, you know, I did the fever for, for 18 years from 2000 to 2017. And, uh, you know, to be, again, to be able to do what I've been able to do, as many of us in this market, I mean, all of us who are Hoosiers or, you know, Matt Taylor uh, went to Franklin College. He's the voice of the Colts. Um, it, it's It's just really special. So, uh, every year is a different year. And last year, clearly from a record standpoint, it, it, it wasn't what anybody wanted, but I think what the Pacers have done is, is they put together a plan and, and everybody is on board and excited about the plan and, uh, anxious to see how the season starts and to see this group grow. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying anything, but you can kind of see why if you watched last night, some other teams have a longer-term vision type of plan, I guess, right? I don't know if you watched those two young guys play last night, Wimbayama and uh, Scoot Henderson, but that was pretty enjoyable watching those guys you know, go one another. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I watched that. I was flipping back and forth. Uh, TNT had a, a preseason doubleheader. I'll tell you who looked really good last night, too, was Zion Williamson. Uh, he looked fit, uh, just a much different body. 
Um, so, yeah, it was an exciting night of basketball. I know we're right in the heart of football season, you know, only week yeah. week five coming up of the NFL and college football. But uh, it's always good when you have – you're coming up on that time, John, where you got basketball starting, you have the baseball playoffs, you're in the heart of the football season. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty fun time to be a sports fan. I tell you, somebody else that, uh, at least from what I've been reading out of Cleveland, our friend Dylan Windler was – had an outstanding off season and was having a, a great camp. Um, I, I know that he, I, I guess he's not playing tonight uh, because of a, a slight injury, but that's always been his issue being able to, to stay healthy and stay on the floor. But I, I heard a lot of good things coming out of Cleveland regarding him in the weeks leading up now to the start of the season. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're a franchise, John, if you look at what the Pacers are doing, it, all you have to do is look at like Cleveland and Memphis and a lot of these teams, Phoenix. Now they added Chris Paul, but but they've done it with Aiton and Booker and Cameron Johnson and and Bridges, uh, Mikel Bridges, all young guys. They 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 got through the draft. Uh, Memphis, same thing. Cleveland, as you you know, Garland and and, and company. Now they've added Donovan Mitchell. Yeah. So there is a definite there is a definite plan i mean everybody a few years ago looked and said looked at golden state and said okay we got to play like golden state uh but i think what you're seeing is that the draft is is a great way uh to to bring in some young guys and if i look at it i mean halliburton was the 12th pick in 20 um neesmith was the 14th pick in 20 jalen smith was the 10th pick in 20 even though you didn't draft them you got them in trades those are three guys that are high-level players. So um, I, I think that's that's what you're looking at. And, uh, again, um, it's been six months since we've, we've done a game and uh, chomping at the bit to do it. Hey, did you see that atmosphere in Seattle the other night, too, by the way, with uh, the Clippers? I forget who their competition was, but the Clippers and the return of Kawhi. Uh, that was in Seattle. That was pretty cool to see. Yeah, it is a great market, um, and, and I have to believe that, you know, Seattle and, and Las Vegas have to be uh, the two that I would believe would be yeah. front and center uh, for expansion franchises at some point down the road, and, and then you'd go to 32 teams, and I think that's exactly what the NBA wants to do. Yeah, that Seattle thing looked pretty cool the other night, though, especially, I mean, you and I are both older, too, and certainly have loved basketball, and, you know, not even talking about the, the Gary Payton, you know, Sean Kemp days, but we're talking about those days with, you know, downtown Fred Brown and when Dennis Johnson played there, when they won it in, I think, 79, right, the uh, NBA title, yeah. those those teams in Seattle, those were the special ones for me. Yeah, and I had a chance uh, right when I got into the league, it's before they moved to Oklahoma City, I, I did a few games in Seattle, and I was also there with the fever during the WNBA and, and what they've done to that arena – uh, though there, there are so many either former or current NBA players, John, that come out of Seattle. Um, and uh, it's a hotbed for basketball. And, and you saw that, in the, as you said, in those two preseason games, just how much I think they want NBA basketball to come back. Chris Denary, basketball is back. The voice of the Pacers with this Pacers preseason game. That's their opener on the road in Charlotte coming up later on tonight. Chris, back with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Tell everybody, Quinn and JJ and Jamie and 
Eddie and everybody, we said hello and uh, welcome back. It's good to have everybody hey, back. Hey, thanks so much. 84 straight on Valley Sports Indiana starting next Wednesday. Two preseason, then all 82. So we've got you covered all year long. You got it. I appreciate you, Chris. Talk again soon. Thanks, John. It's Denary right there on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Pipeline. We're right here at Twin Peaks, 82nd at I-69 on what is a Wednesday. The news today for the Colts, not great regarding Jonathan Taylor. He is listed as out. Colts Denver coming up tomorrow night. That is your Thursday night game. Short week coming off an incredibly disappointing performance, especially in the first half against Tennessee on Sunday Colts and Broncos coming up tomorrow night. I'll tell you where we're going to be. I'll tell you what we're going to be doing and a lot more, including Kevin Bowen at the top of the hour. Will they bring up Philip Lindsay? Will there be more any of a workload for 21? Deion Jackson going to get a chance. So who will they go to without 28 as a part of this team tomorrow night. Kevin and I talk about that. You and I inside the lounge via YouTube live. You have the stream 1075thefan.com as well. 239-1070 is the number. Let's talk coming up on the other side. 93.5 and 107.5 the fan. Ride with JMV. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Hey. 93.5 and 107.5 the fan. Hey, welcome back. We're at the Twin Peaks location, 82nd and I-69. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. Kristen Airy, podcast 107.5thefan.com. Charlotte Pacers tonight, preseason opener in Charlotte. Coverage right here after us, beginning at 6.30. Kyle, did you happen to see that tweet from Wojnarowski that said after last night, I mentioned that when Bayama game, when Bayama and Henderson uh, that took place last night, that he got a text from a general manager in the NBA that said, now you're going to see a ton of teams. It's going to be like one of the biggest races we've ever seen to tank. Did you read that? Yeah, I just saw that. But thinking about teams, how many teams out there are kind of equipped to really tank for form? Yeah. I can probably how many do you have? Maybe, we- I can think of maybe four or five. You have the Jazz, you have San Antonio, you have the Pacers. Yeah. You would assume the um, Thunder will not tank for him because Holmgren, you can't play Holmgren and this guy next to each other. That won't work. Yeah. Charlotte, maybe. You're right. I, I can't think of too many other teams that are going to be really bad. Washington, maybe. Well, Beal's still in Washington, though. Yeah, he is. But he, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to be great or anything, but tank wise, I don't. You got to get. You can't have somebody like him on your team because he's at least going to put up some numbers unless he has a phantom injury and you set him, right? Yeah, that would How's be that the one thing if he has an injury, you know, and he they give him an extra month or two of rest for this injury. But Orlando's going to be better. Detroit is going to be better. I think there's probably only five teams kind of in that bottom, maybe maybe only three teams in that really bottom cellar. And that's going to be interesting. If I put the over-under on 30 wins this year for the Pacers, what direction would you go? What do you think, 30? I'm telling you, I, not a lot of people think that it's going to be 
anywhere near above 30. I mean, that's that may end up being the high water mark. I I'd go under. Yeah, I think they're in Vegas. Yeah. Their over under is 23 and a half. The only team that has yeah. a lower over under is San Antonio. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting from Wojnarowski talking about Victor Wenbayama and you know everybody watching him last night and and you saw even like high level NBA players commenting on him. He like last year everybody called Chet Holmgren the unicorn. I, I don't know what you would want to call him because that seven four and being able to do some of that stuff and I I know it's young and all this crap could happen, but let's live in the now. And if you watched him last night or you watched the highlights, maybe you go and Google the highlights right now, he's one of one, right? I mean, if nothing else, he's one of one at seven foot four with that skill set. You agree? I mean, it's, anybody... hard, it's hard to compare someone to Kevin Durant, but he is without question the closest thing to Kevin Durant we've ever seen. And, I mean, at 18, he's probably better than Durant was. He's better defensively, without a doubt. He's probably about the same shooter Durant was at that age, and he's taller. I mean, he's probably five inches taller than Durant. Yeah. Well, he was standing next to that Scoot Henderson last night. How tall is he, 6'5"? I think, Scoot Henderson? I think Henderson's only 6'2", 6'3". He's a bit oh, shorter. Is it? Oh, okay. Well, he looked a lot shorter. Anybody's going to look a lot shorter standing next to that guy. Seven foot four and legit. There's right, a two three. There's go a picture going around. I don't know if you've seen it. It's from last summer. It's uh, it must have been Team USA versus Team Fr- uh, France or something. But it's Wembanyama standing next to Zach Eady, Chet Holmgren, and Jaden Ivey, and Wembanyama makes Eady look a little short. <laughs> Well, I think you're right about the tanking of the teams. And the Pacers certainly have the opportunity to be in that particular mix right there, without question. All right, 239-1070. Is Justin still on hold here, or we need to break? I'm sorry. Hey, Josh, 239-1070. Hello, how are you? Hey, what's going on, JMV? Good to hear from you. Yeah, I was... um had a quick comment first about the Pacers. Um, I didn't realize that we're projected to be that bad. I thought we had a little upside with the young talent. I mean, I knew that we would. I didn't know it was under 30 was our over-under. I thought it was about No, 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 it's not. I made that up. I made that up, Josh, and that's on the high side. Vegas, Vegas has them at 23. I think Rick Carlisle even mentioned that yesterday. Vegas has them uh, under what they – Finished win wise last year at twenty five. They have him at twenty three. Shoot, I, I was thinking it was about a thirty five, thirty six win fringe playoff. Maybe like the play in team. I was that's what I was thinking. With uh, you know, if Halliburton develops the way we expect him to, and you know, with the young rookie coming in, and I, I, I thought our time, I thought our nucleus is pretty young. I mean, it's like going into last season, I wasn't as optimistic as I am coming into this season with the Pacers. You know, so that's why it, was, it shocked me them being on the low end like that. Well, Josh, let me tell you this. Your optimism is because it's new and it's fresh. Um, you just – and you haven't seen this, you know, group really play together. But I, I got a feeling that Vegas is going to be accurate. And 
even though nobody's going to say anything, I also had the feeling that the Pacers, much like the Jazz and the Spurs are trying to do, they have valued this draft coming up in June and this class, especially at the very top, as ultra premium. And there are going to be a lot of teams, and I would include the Pacers uh, in that order as well, that are going to be trying to get to that point. All right, and, and segueing from draft on into the NFL, do you think there's any possible way we can get into the first round next year to try to get one of these quarterbacks that they say is pretty good, and they say it's a quarterback-heavy class next year? Yeah. I Well, they're going to have to draft a quarterback. Uh, they may, just by the way that they're playing right now, put themselves in that position anyway, Right. That may end up. Well, happening. we don't have a first round pick, though. They, uh, hey, Kyle, they have a first round pick next year, don't they? Uh, the the uh, Colts. Yeah, yeah, they do, and oh, they okay, might well, have an extra okay, second yeah. round pick. That's, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was that was older news when they gave that up. Yeah, I was going to say, okay. man, did I forget? I, I wondered if I forgot I about that, but yeah, they do. Yeah, maybe I'm just used to them not been trading after the first round. <laughs> well, the yeah, couple of years. right. Right. Yeah, they, they, they do next year. I, I, you know, we've been talking about this so much. Sometimes I, I lose a little bit of recollection. But, yeah, what I'm saying is they, they are going to be able – they're going to have to find somebody. And, honestly, Josh, they were going to find and draft somebody regardless. Even if this was a better season or a season of what they thought they were going to do, they were still going to draft a quarterback. It's just necessary. And, and now it's even more magnified as necessary. Yes, I'd agree. I mean, I'm not putting it all on Matt Ryan, but I'm, I, I, cause, but I, you know, I think we got to try to find a franchise guy some kind of way, you know. Yeah, well, and this is going to be it. This is going to be it for real. There's, there's no doubt. They're yeah, going I to mean, draft Ballard a quarterback. And, it just Wright, depends on who it is. Me, for me, it would be Ballard and Wright. Well, listen, nobody's leaving. Ballard out of the equation. Everybody thinks, well, you know, you're covering up for Ballard when you suggest that he's not going, you know, to get canned or anything. He's just not. He's not. It's going to be the coach before it's going to be the general manager. But that doesn't mean he's done anything great either because he put this thing together. And as I mentioned, Josh, earlier this week, he put this together and these foundational blocks have failed him to this point. So unless that there is a stark turnaround, there is no doubt you can implicate him as much as you can the head coach or anybody as far as this team's shortcomings by the way that it's built. But he's just not going to be on that hook for it before Frank Reich will. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree with you on that. You know. All right. What I else you got? You, huh? yeah, you call any time, Josh. Thank you very much. You call any time. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, they're going to draft a quarterback regardless. I mean, regardless. And that was coming. Even if Matt Ryan would play well, they're going to draft a quarterback. Uh, Jerry writes this, that the Pacers are truly going to tank for that kid. They have to make that Westbrook deal and get those two first-round picks. Let me tell you what, Jerry. I, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. I know Shams wrote this a couple of days ago, how the Lakers and the Pacers are still engaged in talks leading up to training camp for Miles Turner and Buddy Hill, but the Lakers apparently don't want to part with those picks. Um, those first-rounders, I, I, to me, 
it happens. To me, they end up going for it and saying, you know what? The time is now. It's not, what, 27, 28, 29 when you're talking about hoarding those particular draft selections, if you're the Lakers, at some point it's going to happen. And maybe it doesn't happen until the trade deadline. Maybe it means that the Lakers are going to have to be playing decently and feel that they're a shooting guard and a, an active big man, especially defensively, away from taking that to the next level. I do think that it will at some point happen, though. Quick break. We'll come back. Twin Peaks, we're on the northeast side. We're in Castleton. Thank you for joining us. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. The Ride with JMV. Let me have a Diablo sandwich of Dr. Pepper. Make it fast. I'm in a damn hurry. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. I'm John, and I'm glad that you're with me. Northeast side, Castleton. We're at Twin Peaks today, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Devin's the on-site engineer. Back in the studio, Kyle Udemark is with us. Derek's in the house. He's got a podcast, too, by the way. I think I have a podcast, too. I don't know if I ever talk about that. But, yeah, sometimes I talk about it. I say go back to the podcast. Now, I can't like you to go back to the YouTube feed as well. So why don't you do that if you miss anything, and especially if you miss Rick Carlisle yesterday, not just talking about the Pacers. Well, we did not ask him yesterday if they're going to tank for Victor Wenbayama or uh, Scoot Henderson or whatever, but he did, and I didn't even bring this up. He's the one that brought up the JMV takeover yesterday. And if you missed any of that conversation, I bet Sean Copeland down the hall is excited about that. But uh, he brought up the JMV takeover. If you missed any of Rick Carlisle on the show yesterday, yeah, you can go back to the YouTube feed from yesterday, the ride with JMV. That's YouTube live, right? Or you can go to 107.5thefan.com. Check out the podcast. Chris Denary joined us earlier. Pacers preseason game one on the road in Charlotte later on tonight. 6.30, your coverage begins right here. Tomorrow night, of course, you got the Colts on the road in Denver. And the bad news today, but the news, in fact, a lot of us felt was probably going to be the end result of getting that injury on Sunday against the Titans. No Jonathan Taylor coming up tomorrow night in Denver. We'll talk about that and more. From the morning show, Kevin and Query, that weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Kevin Bowen joins us now on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Non-surprising, but I guess my question is going to be, where do they go next? Is that going to, like, open up the eyes and, hey, this is number 21, 21, meet head coach, uh, a guy like Deion Jackson, or you, th- you think they may elevate a guy that has a history in Denver from the practice squad in Philip Lindsay? What do you think they do tomorrow night? Yeah, I, I would think Lindsay would get the call up. Why else is he here? <laughs> you know, it's, this is kind of the insurance a situation of why he's on your practice squad. Deion Jackson is on the 53-man roster because he helps you out more on special teams. And, you know, I, we can make fun or, you know, you know, make light of what Naeem Hines has had from a role standpoint this year. But I always felt like if Taylor was ever going to get hurt, which is rare, um, that you would keep Hines in that hybrid role and you would find more of kind of an in-between-the-tackle guy uh, to replace Taylor, and that's where Lindsey comes into play. Now, you got to have some questions. I mean, Lindsey is – I think last year he had over 10 carries only three times the entire season. So, you know, what does he look like from a workload standpoint? He hasn't played in an NFL game in, you know, 10 months. So those are all questions that you have. Um, but, you know, similar to when I think it was Marlon Mack got hurt in 2019, you kept Hines in that role. I know it wasn't as 
expansive as maybe the Colts want it to be, or I should say at least the Colts act like it is. Um, and it was Jonathan Williams who they brought up, and, and, and he had a big night, ironically enough, on a Thursday night over 100 yards and replacing Mac. So um, if I'm guessing, I would say, you know, if you have 25 carries for running backs tomorrow night, you know, 13 for Lindsey, 10 for Hines, and two for Deion Jackson. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess maybe so. Hey, by the way, Desmond Patman did clear waivers today. He was, of course, waived uh, in a maneuver yesterday. I guess it was maybe the day before yesterday. They're all running together now. But yesterday, anyway, earlier this week, uh, he did clear waivers, meaning he went unclaimed by other teams. Kevin Bowen's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I mentioned Naheem Hines. What do you think? Do you think that he is just fantastically underutilized and sometimes goes unnoticed by the head coach or are Nimrods like me just completely overplaying how productive he is or, or could be, or might be. What do you think? Um, Nimrod. I don't know if I've heard you refer to yourself as a Nimrod. Yeah. I just, I just um, thought about that. You know, it just kind of popped into my head right here. Yeah. Nice. Um, I tend to think it's a little bit more on the coaching staff. And, and, you know, I felt like we had this conversation in the offseason, John, where I think it was being inferred by a lot of people that it was all Carson Wentz's fault Naeem Hines didn't get the ball last year. His playing time was not at the level that the Colts act like it was last season. Um, And honestly, you're paying Naeem Hines too much money to be as utilized as he is. He's making, I think, top 15 running back money. Um, and I, I don't know why they have, you know, kept his role so quiet this season. You know, I think back to week two when you didn't have Pittman, you didn't have Pierce. I thought that had Hines, Taylor, in the backfield written all over it. Hines and Taylor on the field together all game long, and they did not really tap into that. Obviously, we saw on Sunday, and the, and the tight ends are great on Sunday, but, you know, Hines' first touch comes with four or five minutes to go. But I think back to every single time we heard from Chris Ballard, and Frank Reich in the offseason. January, the Ballard season-ending presser, the combine, the draft, the spring, it was them bringing up Naheem Hines organically. It was them grouping Hines in the, I think we have three playmakers, uh, you know, high-level playmakers, Taylor, Pittman, and then they'd say Hines. It was Frank Reich bringing up, you know, I would put him on my fantasy team or, you know, paraphrasing there, but whatever Reich said. So it, it, a lot of it was – you know, them mentioning it. Um, if you look at Hines' rushing numbers this year, they are not good. But, you know, I'd also argue he's barely – I think he has like eight carries in the season. And, again, I think he should be more of a factor in the receiving game, especially with your offensive line. You know, getting the ball in Hines' hands a little bit earlier in plays, get it out of Matt Ryan's hands, avoid that pressure, see if Hines can do something with it. Um, that has not been utilized enough. Yeah, I, I kind of look at it this way. Sometimes I wonder maybe if I, especially it's me, I'm the one that probably talks about it more than anybody. Yeah, maybe I um, overemphasize ultimately his level of production. I mean, maybe it just, because it, it does seem like when he gets opportunities, there's not really anything eye-popping. And then when he doesn't get opportunities, we all kind of go haywire and start, you know, ripping it and criticizing it. But you know, maybe they're just going by those attempts that he gets that 
I, you know, listen, I'm trying to talk myself into away from what my argument has been, but I, there has to be a reason more than just going unnoticed by your head coach. That, I, I guess I don't get it unless right. it's unless it's the uh, the the thing that I just brought up about you know not being as productive as some of the some of us would lead it to believe or. I, I can't imagine it being just operator error from the head coach altogether. That would be shocking. Yeah, I, and I would tend to agree with that. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, part of me thinks that. I, you, you would hope that that is certainly not the case. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, his playing time hasn't been up there as much. And, um, you know, someone asked me earlier in the week, I actually think it was Eddie, Eddie Garrison, one of our coworkers, to say, is Naeem Hines in the doghouse? And, and I laughed. I was like, Naeem Hines? I mean, no, I mean, that dude, you know, he stands for pretty much everything the Colts want. And then I'm like, well, I guess the question's fair because he hasn't been, you know, utilized, I think, anywhere near to the level that we thought he would be. So, um, yeah, it, it's as head-scratching for me, I think, as it is. And, you know, as a guy that you have as a, as a punt returner. I mean, you know, guys that you have as punt returners, you think, you know, can make plays with the ball in their hands, can make plays in space, those kind of short areas of the field can make guys miss, and they haven't done that. And I think back to Grand Park, John, I mean, for any fan that was at training camp practices at Grand Park, almost every single day you saw a rather unique, creative way of either Hines getting the ball or faking something to Hines and Taylor getting it or somebody else getting it. And I can't think of more than one or two times we've seen that in games this season so it's something they clearly worked on in camp we just haven't seen it yet all right would you call that exotic did you reference that at camp as exotics for Naheem Hines that would you call it that those plays yeah I I, I would yeah I'd call it oh okay yeah and the reason why I asked that Kev do you think that maybe why they haven't done it is because of just the absolute ineffectiveness of the offensive line that may be why they don't feel comfortable. Or certainly, we have seen often the positions in the game in which they are. Maybe you just don't go to stuff like that the way this team offensively had played through four weeks. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, part of me could look at it and, you know, devil's advocate would say, isn't that, you know, a, a different way to get a guy a touch in space, maybe more on the perimeter to where you're not as super, super reliant on your offensive line to holding up. I think – the interior of the offensive line, especially, uh, you know, when you've been trying to you know, get the short yardage situations, they've just kind of broken down and they haven't been there for you. So um, I, I understand where you're coming from with that question of like, there's a level of you just need to get back to the basics, get back to fundamentals with yeah. this offense because you're struggling there. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it was an interesting quote from, from Frank Reich. I, I agree with them, but it was shocking in that he said earlier this week at a point on Sunday in the game, he said to Marcus Brady, I think this is the second half, he goes, I think we need to pass it every single play. And looking back on the game, he probably was right. I mean, the run game was going nowhere. But, like, think about that as an indictment on where you're at as a football team right now. This rushing attack behind that offensive line is going up against the 32nd-ranked run defense in, in their own building, and they feel like they can't run it. Uh, that, to me, is just like, wow, this is where you're at right now as a franchise and as an offense. And, you know, if I'm Jim Ursay, that is what would really make me pause and think, wait a minute, this is how Chris Ballard wants to build. This is Frank Reich, the offensive-minded head coach, the play caller, 
and it's six straight games of scoring 20 points or less. And Jim Irsay fired off the tweet back in January during the playoffs of, and I forget the exact phrasing, but, you know, the final eight teams have shown that you need a quarterback, you need an offense that can get to 30 points in regulation. Well, here you are going up against really poor defenses in this stretch, and you haven't scored over 20. And one of those games, it went to overtime. That would be very alarming to me if I were him. Kevin Bowens on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. When you said a little bit earlier, well, this is what Chris said in camp. This is what Frank said in camp. I was trying to think to myself as you were talking how many things that was that actually said by them in camp actually have come to fruition. I don't think there's very much. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, you're, you're confident in your kicker position. It took basically one week to uh, not be that any longer, right? Um, you know, you talk about your offensive line. We know how that's played. You know, you bench your, your right guard. You're feeling comfortable with that. Mark Glowinski walks. You got a new right guard, Danny Pinter. That didn't work. Will Fries was absolutely, according to analytics of PFF, worse. Um, this past Sunday, you have confidence in your left tackle, which clearly has been misguided so far. I, there's just been a lot of inaccuracies, Kev, going back to camp if you compare that then to what we know now. Yeah, a lot of conviction, a lot of belief that hasn't really turned into action. I'd probably throw Desmond Patman on that list. Yes. Um, You know, he was a name brought up as why they weren't as active with wideouts, and (laughs) he just got cut for a street kicker in October. Um, And I guess specifically on the offensive line, you know, that to me is where it was confusing because – Again, I'm trying to put myself into Ballard's shoes. That position group, he stresses like no other. And yet he feels the need, and I think Matt Pryor would answer this. Um, if you hooked him up to a lie detector, I think he would answer this. Matt Pryor was stunned when the Colts came to him and asked him to be the left tackle. He was, he was like uh, shot, like, wait, uh, you, you know, I mean, my resume is not bad. Matt Pryor's got to shed weight in the offseason. He's doing boxing drills to try and get his – you know, hips used to opening up that way versus primarily being on the right side for much of his NFL career. Um, so you have an NFL team that, you know, handed the left tackle keys to, you know, more of a, a, a swing guy throughout his career. And then in Pinter's case, I don't think it's to the level of prior, but Danny Pinter's never played guard in his life until this year. And he was a tight end in high school, tight end at Ball State initially, a tackle uh, is, is what he grew into at Ball State, and then he played center, you know, when, when he was needed in those first couple seasons for Ryan Kelly. I don't, he never started a game of guard. Um, so, in a way, you know, you were taking some risks at both of those positions, and it probably should shock none of us that they are the two positions that, you know, have let you down the most. I would agree, and I know you feel this way, that Ryan Kelly and Braden Smith and even Quentin Nelson have not yeah. lived up to the level that you need uh, but those two, you know, back in the offseason, it was kind of like, huh, this is yes. it? They're just going to let those guys start? And it's not like Bernard Ryman or Will Fries had any serious chance to earn the starting job in camp. I, I, I believe until Ryan Kelly got COVID that last week at camp, I think Fries or, excuse me, Pinter and Pryor took every single starting rep. It's not like you went three days of – prior three days of Ryman to try and create a competition. It was never a competition there. 
Kevin Bowen joins us on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. you got the Colts and the Broncos short week on a Thursday night. It's coming up tomorrow night. No Jonathan Taylor, as we found out earlier today. Kev's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. I remember, and I always thought it was kind of in light of me constantly talking about it, but whatever, you know, when Chris Ballard made fun of, you know, the notion that, you know, they should move or think about moving Quentin Nelson to left tackle. And, of course, um, I was the spearhead of that, that silly notion for a long period of time. I'll be completely honest with you. That notion is no more silly than, in actuality, what he did with Matthew Pryor in putting him at left tackle. You know what I mean? I mean, to me, that would right. still make a hell of a lot more sense than doing what they did to start the season with Matthew Pryor. Yeah, I, when you and I have had this Nelson left tackle conversation, I will reiterate, and I think part of this comes from just me being so obsessed with Notre Dame. I've always been under the impression Quentin Nelson wants no part in left tackle. Right. Um, or at least doesn't want to do it on a permanent basis. Uh, but the, the prior left tackle thing, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier today, John, you know, we can talk about wideout, talk about quarterback. Um, left tackle to me is the most confusing position that Chris Ballard has lacked addressing over the years. And it goes back to Anthony Costanzo. As soon as he publicly flirted with retirement, really as soon as he got hurt to start that 2018 season, at age 30, you want to talk about Andrew Luck having off-the-field interest? Costanzo had a 1,000 more of them. And he always struck me as a guy, like, at some point, the technician aspect of he just loves being a technician and playing football, that's just going to wane and, and he's just going to want to stop. Um, and yet they just neglected drafting a tackle throughout all those early Ballard drafts. They finally did it with Ryman. Um, but, you know, even starting Ryman, I mean, how many times do you see a rookie third-round pick start day one? So whether they would have gone that option or they would have gone Matt Pryor, which they obviously went prior, either of those options is really unlike any NFL franchises operated, particularly in the last few seasons. Um I looked up like the last time you had a rookie third round tackle started left tackle and it's been years. Um, and then in Pryor's case, I called him a journeyman probably is a little bit too harsh, but you know, he, he's kind of like a poor man's Joe Hager, Joe Wrights, And you're all of a sudden saying, Hey man, you're going to be our starting left tackle from day one. And during camp, you aren't going to even lose your starting job for the first 13 days of camp. And really Ryman took like three series of reps there uh again considering ballard's emphasis on the offensive line that one was always really really confusing to me i get wide out because i know ballard doesn't hold that in the same regard i understand quarterback i don't agree with that but i understand it because again the first day of his opening press conference at west 56th street he said it's not about one guy you know this and that and it's been true he certainly is not you know looked at quarterback in that light so those ones, there's at least some, like, you know, crumbs that, you know, lead to the answer. The left tackle one, I'm like, what in the – that one, to me, it just makes no sense. It's funny. Somebody inside the lounge via YouTube Live, I think it was uh, – yeah, Jesse said it's not like it's Madden. You can't just place players anywhere on the line. Fine. But that's what Ballard did. I mean, that's bas- that's what he did. It's very mad and live. I'm going to put this guy who's, you know, been a guard, but let's put him at left tackle because we have no options. And, and the other thing is two years ago, right? It was the quitty pay draft. 
Yeah, didn't they have a lot of offensive linemen that, that went in the first round? And it was funny because I remember initially um, when, when Ballard was talking, it was about, you know, how plentiful that draft was going to be with those types of possibilities. And then we, when we got closer or even on that data, maybe it was thereafter, he had mentioned that he didn't like any of those names in and around where they drafted in that area because he didn't feel them to be tackle-worthy. So I, I just remember the kind of the, the whole right. theme changing from, hey, this is fruitful with guys that can play the position to where, yeah, we didn't like anybody in that general area because we didn't feel that they were tackle-worthy. Kind of changed. Yeah, and I, I think he was left tackle specific. Felt like some right. guys could play right, but some guys couldn't play left. Christian Darris, that was the name. When it was him right. and Quiddy Pay on the board, and they, they went with Pay. They thought he had a little bit higher character is why they went there. Um, you know, I'll go back to a Joe Wright's quote, and I, I don't think he's with you guys tomorrow night, but if he was, he, he could bring this up. Um, and Joe said well, at, at one point, a guy that's played all over the offensive line, said that, you know, offensive linemen are made, but left tackles are born. There's just a rare amount of God-given traits you got to have to play over on that left side with the right-handed quarterback. Um, and I always felt like, you know, and this is obviously something that Bill Polian tried and did not have great success with in, you know, molding or, or trying to blend the Manning years to the next era at some point, every franchise strives to kind of pass the torch. You know, can you go from Tariq Glenn to Tony Hugo? Can you go from Robert Mathis to, you know, Jerry Hughes? And, again, those are examples that didn't work out. Uh, you know, Kansas City did a really nice job at quarterback. Alex Smith got them to the playoffs, but then they went from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes. That's a really nice, you know, blend that you don't usually see teams get at quarterback. I always felt like with Costanzo, considering he was such a technician – this guy loved, like, just literally, he felt like it was almost like a science project, him playing left tackle of, you know, you've got to do this right and that right. Fundamentals are the, you know, end-all, yeah. be-all. I always thought to myself, what a perfect guy to learn from. Draft a tackle in the fourth round, groom him. If at some point you feel like he can play left tackle, that's gold. If not, at the bare minimum, you've got – you know, a swing tackle, a backup tackle that has been in your system for a few years, and, you know, he can be a, a, an important piece, and you're not kind of in scramble mode like you are and have been at left tackle ever since Costanzo decided to retire. Hey, Kev, are they going to go with Fries at right guard tomorrow night as a starter still or back to Penner? What, what's going to happen? Uh, that's a good question. I, I don't know, to be honest with you. I would assume you'd stick with Fries just because you didn't practice all week. Uh, granted, you know, Penters had more practice reps than Fries. I think the good news is Denver, unlike Chris Jones in Kansas City, unlike Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry with Tennessee, they don't have the same sort of interior guys that these two teams that you just played have. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, part of me thinks, you know, is Bernard Ryman a guy that could slide in the starting lineup uh, when you get back from the mini buy again, you didn't practice this week. He's still dealing with that ankle injury, so I understand why they've stuck with Pryor. But when you get four practices next week, that extra practice on Monday, coming back from the mini buy, is that a chance for the rookie to slide in the starting lineup? Because if you're going to be mediocre over there, be mediocre with the rookie. So, Kevin Bowen, the morning show, Kevin and Query.
93.5107.5 here on The Fan, weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So offensively, you know, obviously one of the worst teams in the NFL, certainly in scoring. What are we going to see tomorrow night without Jonathan Taylor? What's going to be the focus? I guess you can start right here. They have no chance. I don't care what the personnel is on the other side and that atmosphere on a Thursday night in a short week. If this offensive line doesn't play better than it has, you've got no chance, especially with the quarterback that's pulling the trigger back there and Matt Ryan. But how do you think they handle it offensively without Taylor tomorrow night? Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Honestly, it's probably like the first one to 20 is going to win the game considering both offenses and the issues that they're dealing with. Uh, you know, on this short week, do you go, like, intense, quick rhythm passing games? Um, you know, I thought, honestly, it was the passing attack, ironically enough. And, you know, the yeah. score probably dictated some of that. But I thought that's what got you back into the game on Sunday. You know, you, you found those tight ends a lot on crossers. I thought, you know, Frank Reich did do a nice job scheming those guys open, uh, wide open, uh, for, for a lot of the afternoon. So, you know, is that something where, you know, you, you, a little bit of tempo, a little bit of, just getting the ball out of Matt Ryan's hands. Um, again, kind of dictate a little bit. That helps out, I think, with crowd noise. It's a short week. You know, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's something they did against the Jets last year on the short week. I, I'd have to go back and, and, and look. But I do think that's something you can tap into on Thursday night. And obviously, you know, when you don't have your starting running back, you need to do something differently because he's such a focal point for what you do. Uh, so I think that's something that I am curious about. I, I do think what you've seen with Pierce and taking some shots down the field with him, that that needs to be in the game plan, I'd say, twice every game. Because now what you're doing is you're kind of putting a seated out into opposing corners. The more you throw the ball, the more you put that on film, they're going to think twice about, you know, cheating up on Pierce, and that's when he can do some of the comeback route stuff. So I, I do think that's been a promising aspect of the offense these last couple of weeks. Hey, Kev, I'm assuming that they'll play this defensive line-wise much like we saw them play, I thought, very successfully two weeks ago against Patrick Mahomes. And you've got, you know, Russell Wilson coming in, short week as well. He's got a ding shoulder. They handle that defensively much like they handled Mahomes. I I guess if you're going to look on the bright side of something, especially defensively, what they did a couple of weeks ago against Kansas City is something I would expect they have to do tomorrow night. And we have seen, obviously, they were capable of doing that. Will they be tomorrow? Yeah, I I do think that is the the plan that needs to be in place. And you're right. They did a brilliant job of that against Mahomes. I do think Wilson is similar in that he likes to hold on to the ball and um, he, he throws a great deep ball, um, and he, I think he wants to take some chances, and that's something that they haven't done a whole lot of. So I, I would assume that that will be part of their game plan. And um, I, I think for the most part, the Colts have typically done a nice job with those types of quarterbacks over the years. You know, I thought they rushed Josh Allen really well in the game last year. Um, I think something to watch is DeForest Buckner's health. You know, he played 19 snaps, I think it was, on Sunday. That's an extremely low number for him coming off the elbow. We all saw kind of the Barry Bonds elbow brace that he had. The guy that took up, you know, pretty much his normal playing time was Tyquan Lewis. Well, you know, Lewis suffered a concussion, so he's out. So your defensive tackle depth, if Buckner's got to be on a pitch count, you know, is something to, to monitor. Uh, But that's a part of the game that, you know, on paper – you know, Denver's O-line, I don't think it's been a strength for them. 
they haven't ran it great. They're obviously without Williams. Uh, that should be an area where the Colts, if Buckner's healthy, can control the game. And I think it's vital to do that and not let Wilson get into a rhythm and not let him tap into some of those big plays. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, this game looks much different than it did when the schedule first came out. I don't think there's any question about that. But honestly, if you were looking at it from a Broncos standpoint, so do the Colts. Yeah, I thought it was the hardest schedule. Or I thought it was the hardest game on the schedule when the schedule because came of out the short that, week. Thought, because of the short yeah. week after Tennessee. Yeah, I thought huge divisional game. Fought, you know, four days earlier, your tra- it's what your second longest road trip of the year behind Las Vegas. Uh, the altitude, you know, all those factors. I thought that this was. I think it was like one of the few games I had them losing by a couple scores. Uh, maybe the only game, honestly. So. Uh, obviously, that's not played out like that. I went on Denver radio earlier today. I, they feel very much the same way. You know, I, I don't think um, they are. You know, feel like they're more one and three than two and two. Um, so I, it's two teams that have this Thursday night game sandwiched between big divisional games, and they really, really can need it. Uh, obviously, the Colts benefit from playing in the division to where. I, I don't see Tennessee or Jacksonville ever running away with it. Um, I don't see the Colts obviously r- running away with it either. Whereas Denver is in that, hey, it, it, you know, if if you lose a couple more, not only are you losing, you know, touch of the of the top of the AFC, but then you're starting to scramble with the wild card and you play in such a loaded division. And really, they haven't played a ton of divisional games yet. It's uh, Kevin Bowen with us for the morning show. All right. Quick question regarding the Pacers coming up to start the uh, preseason tonight and then the rest of the season. Uh, It appears that you're going to have four or five teams that are going to try to tank big time, right? We know the Pacers are rebooting. Is this a tank or a rebooting season in your opinion? Well, I I probably classify it more in the reboot. You know, tank is weird at the NBA, and I don't know if Kyle can look up these odds, but, you know, tanking in the NBA doesn't mean what it used to. If I'm not mistaken, I think, like, if you have the worst record in the league, your percentage of getting the number one pick is 14%. If you have the fifth worst record in the league, your chance of getting the number one pick is, like, 8% or something like that. I mean, that's not a massive margin. It's changed a whole lot. They've tried to get away from the outright tank. Uh, Obviously, I understand the benefits of losing games. I do think instead of ending games, and I I don't know how to say this without it coming as a shot – at you know, a guy like Kiefer Sykes or those other guys that were playing meaningful minutes for the Pacers last season, I'd like to think you aren't going to have games where three guys that were on the Madden in October are now finishing games for you in February. I would like right. to think you would have games where it's a little bit more talent on the floor late. Injury luck should be on their side a little bit more. Even if those veterans get traded, they should be out there early in the season. And the end of games, I mean, that was such an issue for them last season. You know, four points or less, the record was horrific. Um, you got to be better there. And I, I do think there's an element of, you know, luck just kind of finds its way. So, you know, I saw 23 and a half wins. I am hammering the over. Um, I've had several people reach out to me that, you know, have some ties to the Pacers organization, and they're like, dude, the Pacers want to lose. And I'm like, I, I, I get that, and I understand, and I, I guess I'm a little surprised that, like, they're making that abundantly clear within the organization and I understand that, but part of me is like, you know, unless you outright bench the guys, like 
you know, it's not like you're like, hey, TJ McConnell, throw the ball out of bounds. Yeah. You yeah. know, things like that. And yeah. I mean, I oh, I get Carlisle, it. Yeah. I was at Carlisle with you yesterday, John. I mean, how many times did he bring up the Vegas over-under? I mean, he, he did. He brought that yeah. up, you know, yeah. on his own. So I would think his resume would be a guy that he doesn't like to repeat 25 and 57 like they yeah. had last season. So Kevin Bowen, morning show's got you covered 7 until 10 a.m. with he and Jake Query. And uh, Kevin Bowen's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I appreciate it, man. We'll uh, talk with you coming up next week and see what happens coming up on Thursday. Could be a wild Friday. And listen, I'm telling you, that that time off, that short week, I think benefited Chris Strasser. The longer week after, as you mentioned, that many by, if this offensive line struggles tomorrow night, may not. So we'll watch for that for sure. Yeah, a little scapegoat party, him, Danny Pinter, and Rodrigo yep. Blake and shit. By the way, I know you're up against it, but congrats on the free throw effort. Gutting Thanks, it out buddy. on one foot, raising money for teachers' treasures. I love it all. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you, Kev. See you, John. Uh, Kevin Bowen, Andy Moore, Automotive Group. Hotline, quick break. We'll come back. Here's Hoosier Park, Race of the Day, and more coming up with you next. The Ride with JMV. Look at all those ding-dongs. 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Hey, Chris Baxter cashed in. There you go. Harris Hoosier Park race of the day. 50 in betting, 50 in dining. That's the VIP prize package. Each and every Wednesday and Thursday we do right here on the show. Uh, it was Indy Pacer there for the win. That was a uh, 360. The place was 280. The show 240. National Sport placed at 440. Showed at 240. Round here, Buzz showed at 260. Your two dollar exacta payout was 1720. Your 50 cent trifecta payout went for 1615. There it is. Congratulations to Chris Baxter. Your Harris Hoosier Park race of the day we'll do it again coming up tomorrow we got a lot to do coming up tomorrow up in westfield at joe's grill for our larceny bourbon locks and luna's tequila shots coming up tomorrow and we've got that in the colts pregame huddle coming up tomorrow as well so we start at three o'clock go until 5 30 then greg rakes for all bill brooks join me colts pregame huddle from 5 30 until we head to countdown to kick off for game time Damon writes this, hey, JMV, I just passed Heaven Hill Distillery in Kentucky and listening on the Crystal Clear YouTube Lounge. Damon, there you go. Nick writes this, an interesting view no one is mentioning here. Is there a double secret probation we don't know about with Ballard? I ask this because Ed Dobbs pulled out of a lot of opportunities towards the end of his interview process. I Nick, I would tell you if I do anything about that. Certainly, no, I haven't heard anything regarding that. Like, the the intel that I get is that uh, he's he's going to be around going into next year, regardless of what happens. Now, I mean, we could go in a, a thousand different doomsday scenarios. Uh, there's no doubt, but that's just what we, you know right now. And, and part of it is this is why it's so hard to judge, right? When you're thinking in terms of negativity and in terms of negativity regarding Frank Reich or Chris Ballard here, people all the time say, you know, are you protecting Ballard? Why is, you know, he not on the hook for this? He absolutely is on the hook for this. But to me, it's going to be more about the head coach if they don't live up to those expectations. And then you take it even further. When you ask about Frank Reich, 
in terms of, you know, what would force Jim Irsay's hand for doing something that he has never done, and that's jettisoning somebody during the season. It would have to be major. And that's why I mentioned in the past couple of weeks, you know, you know what that path might entail. And the only logic that I could come up with is still the massive disappointment of this team. And then, for example, you go into that commander's game, and there's a great deal of owner embarrassment. Losing to Carson Wentz in Washington. I mean, can I see that with the head coach? Yeah. Could I see Jim Irsay breaking new ground? Probably with that, because that is the absolute bottom of the barrel doomsday. That, sure. Is it going to get that bad? It would have to be that bad for something like that to occur, for that decision to be made. I can tell you it would have to be that bad. I know that a lot has gone wrong with this team so far. I just find it hard to believe that it's going to be that bad. But again, I mean, if you're talking about situations that, you know, may break, as I have mentioned before, that new ground, that's really the only scenario that I can think of. But that... That would almost be like everybody. That would be like the team just whatever. You know, the voice is gone from the head coach. These guys aren't responding to anything. That's really the only way. So regarding all this other stuff, you know, Nick, yeah, the whole double secret probation thing, nah. I mean, Ballard's running that program over there. There's no doubt about it. And again, He's the one that has built this. He's the one that has constructed this. And as I mentioned, right now, the way that you look at it, on both sides of his foundation, it is not working. And that's not only bad for the now, but that's bad for the future. It's bad for the short-term future. Just to me, he's going to get an opportunity to go into next year, even with a disappointing season, whereas the head coach, to me, won't. As far as end season, it would take something catastrophic, as I just described. So thank you, Nick, for that. That's, it's interesting. You, you, I haven't heard that scenario before, but it's interesting that you, you present that. Uh, JMV, after the Thursday game, the Colts have five straight games against what I would call a rival type. Jacksonville, the Titans once again, Wentz in Washington, New England, Raiders, who kicked him out of the postseason a year ago or helped do that too. How can Frank survive? Um, like I said, Patrick, that would be doomsday. Absolute and total doomsday. So I will say this, all bets are off if all that stuff happens. If all that stuff goes against the Colts, then all bets are off then. I'm just sitting here right now thinking that it's going to take that much for Jim Irsay to come to that conclusion, a conclusion that he has never drawn over the course of any season prior. That's what it would take. Now, Chris Strasser, yeah, if things continue to go bad for the offensive line, I could see that next week. Could absolutely. I could have seen it this week had this not been a short week. But definitely with a longer week, you can see that. As far as Franken season, it would still take a lot. And, again, that's not a lot that you're looking for. I know a lot of you are certainly not on board with the head coach right now. No question about that. But that would be complete and utter foobar is what I'm talking about here. And I still don't think a lot of you want that, even if you don't like the head coach. 
But that's where they are. And that is the absolute truth. And with Ballard, that is where they are, and that's the absolute truth. And you can always utilize the term until further notice. And that's what you're getting. You know, again, you win tomorrow night. Everybody feels good. And there's going to be a different sound. You lose tomorrow night. You get a long week to think about it. You ask yourself why. You try to draw some conclusions. Somebody fall on that proverbial sword? Probably. Is it going to be the head coach? No. It has to get worse. It has to get much worse for something to happen that's never happened with Jim Irsay before in season. Quick break, and we shall return. i got a 10-minute span coming up on the other side. If you guys want to jump on board at 239-1070, I do have time for you coming up next. We go an extra 10 minutes to make sure you're ready for Pacer pregame show. Pacers, Charlotte from Charlotte. Preseason opens up tonight. We got you covered right here. We're live at Twin Peaks, northeast side, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 